0: so this is one of the reasons why we're finding very clearly that just measuring all the soil organic matter in the soil is not a good way to estimate the amount of nitrogen that will be mineralized or decomposed from the organic matter during the growing season. Because different types of organic molecules are much more likely to give
1: up their nitrogen than others. Hello folks, and welcome to the Growing Point podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Boychin. Our goal with this podcast is simple, to provide Alberta farmers and agronomists with timely, relevant, and valuable agronomic knowledge through interviews with experts in various fields of agriculture. We hope that the agronomic information from this and future podcasts brings value to you and your farm. So in this episode, I speak with John Hurd, a soil fertility specialist with the Manitoba government and Dr. Don Flayton a retired professor of 33 years from the University of Manitoba. Both John and Don have done extensive work on soil fertility and fertility management. And I have to say, this was a very fun podcast to record. Um, chatting with these two, you could tell that they've worked together for a long time uh, and they were a blast to to chat with. So I, I have no doubt you'll enjoy this as well. Um, we chat about nitrogen planning um, you know with with extreme fertilizer prices the way they are and and the ongoing drought that we're dealing with everyone's looking to make the most of what's available in their soil to produce a profitable crop in 2022 Um, so we discuss soil nitrates um, soil mineralization values or or, you know otherwise referred to as as expected nitrogen release we also talk about immobilization and, and maybe this isn't so relevant or, or so common in the conversation, um, but they talk about how it is very relevant to um, creating an appropriate fertility plan uh, and how it plays a role in how much nitrogen is actually available um, and what kind of expectations you should set on the expected nitrogen release. Uh, at the end of the podcast, Don refers to a, a presentation slide deck. If you're interested in seeing that, you can reach out to me directly, Jay Boychin at alberta Wheat Uh, and I will send that over to you. Um, but yeah, this was, this was a fun podcast. So I, I hope all of you enjoy it and thank you for listening to the growing point podcast. So I am here with Dr. Don Clayton and John Hurd. Um, and you know we were talking before we started the recording of how you guys are pretty popular for these past couple of months. Um, you know your your dog and, and pony show is. You guys have been around quite a bit and doing a lot of presentations. Um, what what's the what's the reason for that? Well, well,
2: uh, this is something I guess that uh, we've been hearing. Uh, there there are many fold. First of all, uh, there's high crop prices, so people interested in making sure they get good yields, not missing the opportunity cost. But then when they go to look for the fertilizer to achieve those high yields, it's either expensive or it's scarce. And so uh, we're thinking that people are going to look at ways to be very efficient. They want to continue to get good yields, but they probably want to do it by minimizing uh, the amount of fertilizer they have to purchase, um, especially if it's scarce. So we see this kind of driving people towards efficiency and maybe it's driving people towards using their imagination more. Where can I get some free fertilizer? And I think that's the kind of the premise of your, what you've put us up to today.
0: Yeah, and there's one other element I think that's very important to acknowledge and that's the drought conditions across a lot of Western Canada um, last summer. And it means that, there's never been uh, a better opportunity to um, to benefit from soil testing, to, to, to take a look at all the leftover nutrients that last year's meager crop didn't use, but it's, it's also variable from field to field. So there's a lot of um, concern about whether, you know, a particular field might need a full rate of nitrogen, for example, or whether you might be able to back off to a moderate rate. And there's also uh, speculation about whether there may be opportunities for, in season applications of fertilizer because moisture reserves are very, very limited in lots of areas. So farmers aren't necessarily confident that even if fertilizer prices were decent, um, that they'd put on a full rate of fertilizer up front just because the, the moisture reserves are meager. So there's a, a combination of events that make uh, the fertilizer decision more complicated this year, I think than most
1: years. John, I like the way you phrased that, uh, using their imagination to see where we could get some some free nitrogen from, and I certainly want to come back to that. Um, but maybe before we get too far into it, I mean, you you two have been talking about this kind of topic for, you know, this isn't the first time this has been coming up. There's been research on this for you know, decades in Western Canada. Um, and, you know, John, Don, could you maybe speak to maybe a little bit of your history of, of um, you know, what kind of work you've done in this area and and maybe set some pretense for the conversation then
2: well don's the researcher so i'm going to let him speak with some facts here
0: so yeah but but i think that uh if we take a look at the issue of let's just look at nitrogen supply in soil for example uh john's done some excellent work with um crops and looking at nitrogen responses with some on-farm trials and and his nitrogen trials with corn, you got some spectacular uh, yields without any nitrogen fertilizer, John, you know, especially if if the soil had a a history of manure in the past. uh, It it could, you were able to grow, I think, 200 bushels the acre of of corn without any additional nitrogen fertilizer?
2: Yeah, I was really regenerative, but no. uh, In hindsight, uh, uh, when you track back and see how is it that we produced all that uh, yield out of thin air, uh, it's, you know, stored uh, stored soil nitrate in the soil, but also having that high organic matter soil with that history of manure and having a growing season, I compare to what they might have in Illinois. Moist through the year, warm through the year those soils basically uh, bled nitrogen or mineralized. Don, I think you did some figuring here, Some were up to 150 pounds of nitrogen that we presumed was liberated simply from that uh, uh, organic matter and past management practices.
0: Yeah, and that's on top of the nitrate That was present in the soil Mm -hmm. test so huge amounts of so-called free nitrogen from the leftover nitrate as well as the nitrogen that got kicked out during the decomposition of organic matter and so we started um, calculating some mineralization values for a a long-term manure management experiment and then um, that was all at one site just with different management practices and then we had um, a a wheat trial with eight site tiers and we had a, a corn Nitrogen fertilizer trial across like thirteen sites where we looked at mineralization in the check plots where we applied like no nitrogen fertilizer. And after accounting for the changes in the nitrate soil test sort of levels, we found that we had anywheres between twelve and one hundred and thirty pounds of nitrogen being released during the growing season um, from those from those fields. and and so, I guess that opened our eyes to the variability from site to site, from field to field, and year to year in the amount of nitrogen that comes out of that breakdown of organic material.
1: So I, I'm going to throw out a name here because the, the conversation we're having right now—it's always been a question in my head of, of, of um, you know if we do, if we apply a check and we see you know average yields or, or sometimes even you know above average yields, what what is going on there and, and the one name that comes to mind, and maybe you guys have, have seen some of his stuff, maybe not. Richard Mulvaney, um, and and he his talk of, of amino sugars. Like, is is there anything? And maybe could you, because I'm not going to be able to explain it extremely well. So, Don, if you could explain, maybe what his his hypothesis is there, and maybe whether there's any relevance in in Western Canada.
0: Well, I've been there. Oh, well, Mulvaney is an American, son. Yeah. And 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 Mulvaney, um, has some some good things and some and some things that I don't necessarily agree with, you know, to say about the organic nitrogen reserves. But one of the things that he's focused on is that it's it's not all of the organic matter that's easily broken down. To, to give um, nitrogen to the, to the crop during the growing season. It's the simpler, smaller compounds in general that are easily decomposed by the microorganisms and give nitrogen for that crop. And so this is one of the reasons why we're finding very clearly that just measuring all the soil organic matter in the soil is not a good way to estimate the amount of nitrogen that will be mineralized or decomposed from the organic matter during the growing season because different types of organic molecules are much more likely to give up their nitrogen than others and there's some really good work at the Lethbridge Research Center that clearly demonstrated this back in the early 1990s Henry Janssen also did some excellent work on crop management systems showing that it really is Uh, some of the more easily decomposed organic matter that contributes so much to nutrient dynamics and soil quality and stuff like that and some of that really resistant organic matter I'm going to out on a limb here and just say that it's about as useful as charcoal in the soil in the sense that it it just it's just not very dynamic it's very stable and it doesn't give up its nutrients and it doesn't necessarily contribute to soil health in the same way that the more dynamic smaller molecules do. Do you have anything else to add about Mulvaney's uh, hypotheses John? Or
2: Oh just I was just going to show uh, I've, I've poached his soils in his backyard. The drummer is the state soil in Illinois. That's where Mulaney, Mulvaney does his work. And uh, it is one of these deep chernozemic uh, soils uh, there. And so similar to what our Red River Valley soils would be here, high organic matter, uh, but in an, in an environment that is very warm and they're getting uh, 36 to 40 inches of rain a year where we would get half that and so in in that type of environment uh, well first of all they don't store much soil nitrate nitrogen that the the people down there are hooped compared to us Uh, we have a solid test the soil nitrate test that doesn't change much because we've got six months of winter but down there where they don't have a, a nitrate soil test that'll work because nitrate is is leached over the course of the winter, Uh, they need to look at something else. And and much of the nitrogen is stored or contributed the next year uh, uh, as mineralized from crop residue organic matter. And that was really what we're driving them towards this holy grail, having a measurement. We're we're already more than halfway there because we've got a soil nitrate test that works. I, I say the mineralization tests are for those frustrated people who the nitrate test doesn't work for.
0: Yeah, and we're, one other thing to add is that we're we're in an era in Western Canada where our organic matter is not supplying the crops full requirements of nitrogen anymore. But from let's say 1900 to 1950 or 1960, um, most of the Western Canadian soils were mineralizing so much nitrogen during the growing season that there were no responses to nitrogen fertilizer during that period. People were doing nitrogen fertilizer trials in the 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s and getting no response to nitrogen fertilizer because the breakdown or decomposition of the humus or the organic matter in the soil was so rapid and giving up so much nitrogen that the only fertilizer farmers had to add back then was like phosphate because there was no response to the nitrogen. So so we have a a, a history um, of dealing with very large amounts of uh, nitrogen being mineralized from the breakdown of organic matter. But in many of our fields now, of course, that isn't sufficient on its own to supply the crops' requirements.
1: So, so, you're telling me that the fertilizer salesman in the 1920s might have some similar challenges or, or may be able to talk to the fertilizer salesman today and, and groan about the challenges of selling fertilizer?
0: Yeah, no, that was, it was. And, and John and I have seen um, responses like this up in northern Manitoba on some newly broken land. Um, you, you and I saw some nitrogen ramp trials uh, near the PAW, where there was like 65 bushels of wheat per acre, regardless of whether it had any nitrogen fertilizer on it or not. And, and like you say, there was that trial on that um, manured land south of Winnipeg, just a management history difference, that it still had lots of nitrogen to mineralize. And so it is a significant contributor to the nitrogen supply in some soils.
2: Jeremy, I just want to go back to your your notion about a fertilizer salesman in the past. Uh, when I go back and look, uh, it wasn't nitrogen, but phosphorus was recognized fairly readily as being a, uh, a short nutrient, and actually in World War II, they rationed it uh, uh, because fertilizer phosphorus was also potentially used for munitions and things. So uh, I hope we don't come to that, Jeremy, and I'm not going to suggest it, but It's happened before.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, producers, a lot of them have probably seen soil tests at this point or, or, um, you know, maybe some of them are still able to access fields and and pull off some soil tests. When they get a soil test, um, what are they saying? What are they seeing in terms of nitrogen on that soil test? Like what, what are the first places that a producer wants to look to get a bit of information as to what's going on?
0: Well, the soil tests will start off by at least most tests in Western Canada will start off nitrogen wise with just the, the residual or leftover nitrate nitrogen that's readily available. And um, most of the soil tests that I've seen have shown very, very high levels of leftover nitrate nitrogen because um, most of the tests I've seen are in near Winnipeg, where it was very dry, where the crops were poor, and there's a lot of nitrogen left over. I don't know, John, what have you been seeing?
2: Uh, uh, actually, there are localities around. I've seen uh, some from dealerships, a uh, little further west from here, uh, Boys of Suris area, where actually some good yields and nitrate levels are where we would expect in the 30, 40 uh, pound range. So I, I've learned that I, I can't broad brush things but certainly the 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 if the yields were good this year the nitrate levels are maybe close to normal but where we experience drought those levels are extraordinarily high uh uh, we've seen some here over 200 pounds per acre on some uh droughted out canola fields so unimaginably high so
1: on top of the nitrates that we get back um, is there any other information on on nitrogen nitrogen availability that producers are going to see?
2: Well, it depends what test who you get to do your testing. There there are a number of labs that do what they call a ENR or estimated nitrogen release, and so they will be using type some type of uh, factor that they uh, presume is uh, relative to what might be released over the course of the year, and uh, I'll defer to Don here because, Don, you've been evaluating all kinds of these. And, uh, you know, you've got some interesting things that, that you found based on the, the, the recent data sets. How well did they work? In
0: the field, none of them worked worth a darn. We didn't get any statistically significant relationships between our soil test measurements and the amount of nitrogen that actually was mineralized or released from decomposing organic matter during the growing season. And and even where we had um, soils from our long-term manure and fertilizer management trials south of the city, where we had everything growing in the same area under the same conditions, the tests that worked in a very promising way in our growth chamber studies, didn't work worth a darn in the field under field conditions. And it's because field conditions are so difficult to predict, and they're inconsistent. from one treatment to another, there's a different moisture regime, for example. and And we just found that regardless of whether it was all at one site with different management history, or whether it was across a variety of sites with corn or wheat in just in different years and different places, we couldn't find any tests that were significantly related to the amount of nitrogen that came out during the growing season very very uh, disappointing in some ways but understandable it's a biological process really sensitive to the activity of those microorganisms and their interaction with your organic food supply and so just a subtle difference in moisture conditions or tillage or like a mulch or no mulch or something like that can make a, a big difference and and we just have to respect that
1: how are and maybe each lab is doing this a little bit differently but how are the labs actually making this estimate what is there a certain protocol to to assess um, the estimated nitrogen release I don't
0: know uh, John do you know what the magic formulas are
2: uh Well, I know what the one is that was printed in our book, uh, which, you know, we're kind of taking out because it just confuses people. But uh, one time it's a a certain number of pounds of nitrogen per percent organic matter. Uh, But once you start with that, then you need to start reducing the amounts that are... are, uh, uh, taken out of circulation into immobilization and so once you start adding from Peter then you start taking away for Paul uh, uh, you have to take away what uh, nitrogen might be immobilized in in residue breakdown in straw but even what uh, immobilization takes place of fertilizer nitrogen we put on and and Don you have some facts and figures on
0: that right right we could we couldn't we couldn't explain more than eight or eleven percent of the variability in nitrogen release from the soil by simply analyzing the soil's organic matter. In our in our in our tests across various site years for our corn trials and our wheat trials, that means eighty-nine to ninety-two percent of the variability was a mystery. And we couldn't explain it with just a soil organic matter analysis. And it's because of environmental conditions, cause not only do you have to understand what components are making up that organic matter and like we talked about earlier you know are those simple easily degradable decomposable compounds or are they resistant charcoal like compounds you also have to be able to predict the weather and if i can predict the weather that accurately and not only crop growth conditions but soil organic matter decomposition i would be a very, very wealthy retiree right now because I'd be making all my money on the uh, markets and and, and and wouldn't have to worry about um, my, my university pension. Anyways, the bottom line is that, that this is very difficult to predict. So one of the tools that I think is underutilized in evaluating the amount of mineralization in a field or in a management zone is using the fall soil test for nitrate as, as, as an audit to evaluate whether you may have over fertilized that field or that management zone within the field. In other words, if, if I, and we, we actually, have, we've had this happen, we've collaborated with a farmer in the Winnipeg area. And he thought that this one part of his field on the South side of this river um even though it'd been managed the same way as the rest of the field for the last uh 20 years he said there's something different about that land and and it even if it's, it's the same soil type but we found that that part of the land had huge amounts of leftover nitrate nitrogen in it after growing the same crop as the rest of the field and and we suspect that it was a difference in management history that it was kicking out all this nitrogen from organic matter probably because it had a history of either manure application or you know perennial forages for a longer period of time before it was broken or something like that but we see differences from field to field and management zone to management zone in the amount of nitrogen that's released and 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 if you sample those fields and those management zones carefully every year you can monitor for those places where there's extra nitrogen coming out of that organic matter and adjust your fertilizer rates downward accordingly and that's what we did in our long-term manure site we've seen that as you build up that stored organic nitrogen from especially the solid manures you can cut back on your fertilizer rates again and again and again because you you've got that long term release and you need, and and a, and a, and a and a fall nitrate test can give you that sort of same kind of information as you would from checking over your financial budget at the end of the year you can check over your nitrogen budget at the end of the year and see if if your budget was on track
1: is this lack of understanding of how much nitrogen is going to be available through the season is that because we don't fully understand or are aware of all the processes that would contribute to that or are we aware and it's just too complex of a process to predict
0: well i'd like to i'd like to jump in on that and say that one of the things that's working to keep it simple is that when we talk about the amount of nitrogen released from organic matter by mineralization, and we consider that in our fertilizer rate calculation, we also need to consider the other side of the ledger. And that is the tie up of our fertilizer nitrogen through the reverse process of immobilization where the microbes make organic matter out of our nitrogen fertilizer. And in some uh, really, I think, um, important trials, Uh, at the University of Manitoba in the late 70s, they used a stable isotope labeled fertilizer to measure how much nitrogen fertilizer was being tied up in a year and they they banded the fertilizer underneath the crop residues with a good efficient way of doing it, but they still ended up with 50% of the fertilizer being tied up in the soil through immobilization and other processes. So let's say that your average rate of fertilizer in Western Canada is 100 pounds an acre and 50% gets tied up because it's banded underneath the crop residues, you have about 50 pounds of N that's being tied up through mobilization. And that has to be considered as sort of the other side of the ledger, the debit side of the ledger to go with the credit you're getting from organic matter, which might be typically around 50 pounds to the positive. So you have 50 pound credit from mineralization. Of the breakdown organic, you have 50 pounds debit from the tie up of the nitrogen fertilizer they cancel each other out. And so for a lot of farm fields probably it works out to very simple calculation or estimation that the nitrogen supply of the crop is equal to the nitrate nitrogen that you measure in your soil test plus the fertilizer that you apply. And the type of the fertilizer and the release of the organic matter (laughs) sort of balance each other out. And you can go with that much more simplified approach if those two processes are more or less equal. But I'll I'll let John add his two cents worth.
2: Uh, Yes, well, 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 just that uh, uh, the other part of that is that we really can't predict the weather and I I see that if we add in a mineralization uh, addition, I'm always concerned that in a a dry year, perhaps that may cause one to uh, under fertilize a crop uh, if they're counting on a bunch of nitrogen release. Uh, The good thing, the good news from where I see it is, is that if we Fertilized based on the approach that Don suggested, uh, uh, nitrate, nitrogen plus nitrogen uh, fertilizer. If yield potentials are better because we have good moisture and and good heat during the growing season, those same conditions bringing along higher yields also tend to be those same conditions that cause more mineralization to take place. And so it's kind of a positive feedback loop. It helps uh, buffer or uh, uh, release nitrogen to help produce those higher yields. So that, now that's presuming we don't get so wet that we get losses. And, and there's a limit to that. But but uh, certainly for corn, I should go back to that. Don tells me that when we grow corn in the prairies, our soils think they're being summer fouled. <laughs>
0: because it's strip crop strip cropping there's a summer fallow strip between each row of yeah, corn
2: yeah so 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 corn's maybe a little different but but with corn yes if we get good moisture good heat growing through the growing season that nitrogen release that that encourages helps this it manifests itself in uh, supporting the higher corn
1: yield so that, that, that's good news. So, so we, we, we certainly have corn in, in southern Alberta and it's, it's moving up, you know, as we get new hybrids that, that uh, um, we can produce a little bit further to the north of Alberta. But I guess, you know, that then leads me to the question of, of Don, you mentioned some of these research trials that, that John had done and you had done, you know, does this relate to the Western prairies as well? Is is the data that you've pulled or, or was that conducted in, in Alberta and in Saskatchewan as well?
0: No, our, our data is from southern Manitoba, so I, I wouldn't say that it would be directly applicable to other parts of Western Canada. But uh, since I worked as a district agriculturist for Alberta agriculture in Clare's home, Alberta, in the late 70s, and I worked in Saskatchewan as a provincial soil specialist for Saskatchewan agriculture in the 1980s. I can say conf- with confidence that the, the same general principles apply and that within each province, there's quite a bit of variation not only in the weather, but the long-term climate as reflected in the soils. And so, for example, in Southern Alberta, where the organic matter content of the soil is generally lower, you might not have as much mineralization occurring, you know, in a on average, lots of variability from field to field, but on average, Southern Alberta soils probably aren't mineralizing as much as the central and Northern Alberta soils. Then you actually get so far north that you get into the gray, luvasolic soil and you, you might run into problems with lack of organic matter to mineralize up there again. So there's sort of a, a rise and a fall in the um, amount of nitrogen that's mineralized, uh, depending on whether you have you know, low rainfall, medium rainfall or high rainfall. And um, it's, it's, it's gonna vary in the province, but in general, the, all the Prairie provinces have this capacity to mineralize quite a bit of nitrogen and keep it there because we don't usually get enough rain to leach out all that nitrate that accumulates. So it actually is, is beneficial once again to to soil test on a regular basis and keep track of that leftover nitrogen to see if we've been underestimating the amount of um, nitrogen coming from that organic reserve.
2: Uh, I've got a question for you, Dawn. A- am I a friend of the planet? If I get a lot of free nitrogen, create a lot of mineralization, grow my crops with little nitrogen inputs. Is that a good thing?
0: Oh, John, you're such a soil fertility guy. Have you ever heard of soil health and the benefits of soil organic matter? This, no, this is, seriously, this is, this is an issue. If your soil is releasing large quantities of nitrogen through mineralization, it's because of the decomposition of organic matter. And that means that your soils are losing organic matter. You're releasing carbon dioxide to the atmosphere and John, your greenhouse gas footprint is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Whereas the people who are, who are building soil organic matter are immobilizing nitrogen. Like it takes nitrogen to build organic matter in your soil. And so that immobilization process and the balance with mineralization is an indication not only of your nitrogen status, But your soils overall organic matter status so john i want you to build organic matter and not just be decomposing
1: it so are you're saying a system with more immobilization than mineralization is building organic matter
0: yeah yeah and a soil with more mineralization than immobilization is decomposing organic matter and then in the scenario that i mentioned before Were you assuming that, let's say, the amount of nitrogen being mineralized matches the nitrogen being immobilized so that you're you're, you're sort of in balance, that would imply that you're maintaining your soil organic matter in your soil and you're neither depleting it or building it. You're just sort of helping to maintain and conserve it. And, and that system is, is, is good in the long-term too. But in the long-term, of course, we don't wanna decompose too much organic matter because it's such a vital and important asset for over, overall soil health.
1: So I guess I'm listening to this conversation and thinking why why is expected nitrogen release on a soil test is there is there an, a, a point where it's valuable is there a use for it in decision making maybe not in the regard we're discussing right now but is there is there is there something useful about it
2: i i, I see it as uh, if the agronomist is willing to spend the time wading through this uh uh this science story about you know, the biology of organic matter or reservoir decomposing, but they also need to tell both sides of the story. They also need to tell the immobilization part of the story. And I, th- I think if they do that, they'll find out that, boy, this, this, this story is really dependent on a lot of different microbial and weather processes in order to get it right and get a discernible amount. I, I think the discussion is fine. I just don't know if uh, uh, the we need to come up with an answer on it, uh, uh, that uh, I think that we're at least we're, we're, we're happy that we're good enough with uh, uh, a good straightforward recommendations when we look at nitrate and uh, nitrogen fertilizer. We know the other happens, but uh, uh, they tend to, uh, Council will balance each other out.
1: Hey, uh, you're, you're making me think that if I was an agronomist right now before handing over the soil test, I might scribble out that uh, expected nitrogen release before handing it over. Uh, well, I, I, I think though that John,
0: John's point about it, opening up a point of discussion or a conversation is really important because, um, especially in a province like Alberta, where you've got a vibrant livestock industry And you have soils that have a wide variety of different manure management histories. Having a conversation about the amount of nitrogen that's being mineralized is very, very important. But if that soil is mineralizing so much nitrogen that you need to adjust your fertilizer rates, it should show up in your soil test nitrate value. In other words, if that soil has this managed, this manure history it's kicking out extra nitrogen. And then you find out in your soil test that you've got 70 or 80 pounds of N left over instead of what you're expecting 30 or 40, then that means that maybe that soil, if it does this on a regular basis, needs less nitrogen fertilizer than another field because it's got that ability to release nitrogen. So if, if the, enr opens up that conversation that's a good thing but like john mentioned there should be an eni figure as well expected nitrogen immobilization and you should be putting in there probably like 50 pounds an acre on average to counterbalance you know that one-sided point of view it's like looking only at the income side of your, your financial statements, and not looking at expenses. Do you know what I mean? It would be nice if you could just look at one side of the ledger, but we have to look at both.
1: Yeah, that's uh, typically for my my wife's side of the eyes of saying, Jeremy, look, we need to look at how much is going in. too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I I think this is, I mean, there there's, and this goes back to that comment you made about that end of the year audit, right? Of, of you know, how much is left over? Um, am I getting, more leftover than I need. Uh, I guess my question that on that is, is you know, this year we did see a lot of, of secondary growth. I would imagine that that would play an impact on nitrates in the soil. How would that play a role in that decision? Go ahead, John, you've measured it.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we saw that all out there, Jeremy. We saw several kind of droughted outcrops of poor yields. And then with a shot of rain in late August and early September some of these fields came back to life and uh, looked better than what we harvested. So we've gone into fields of oats or even canola uh, that wasn't harvested, but tend to regrow and measured anywhere between, you know, 80 pounds of nitrogen taken up by the oats, 140 pounds taken up by the canola in the above ground. Uh, if if we were in uh, the Midwest in environments like that, we would think that's a good thing because that means that nitrogen's not gonna get lost out the tile drains or into Chesapeake Bay or someplace. But here, we're not uh, we're not thinking that we're gonna lose much of that. Uh, and in fact, uh, studies done with, with cover crops and other uh, things here in this area and further south show that that nitrogen, we can't count on at all. Some of that is locked up in a form or not released uh, that's gonna coincide with next year's wheat or canola, uh, maybe even corn. And so they've seen some yield drag or some more nitrogen required than they expected. Uh, our advice was that they, they could have got their hands on the Roundup to terminate some of that stuff and get it dead before it uses up more water and takes up more nitrogen. Uh, Some were able to follow that advice and some some were not. So we think that in those fields, yes, some of them, there's a a lot of nitrogen tied up in vegetative material. It will come back eventually, but don't count on much of it in the 2022 crop. Now, Don may be more optimistic than me.
1: I I mean, this question comes up, right? Um, And and this year, especially applied that nitrogen you know the crop didn't go anywhere and then all of a sudden the second flush comes takes all the the nitrogen out of the soil that I put it's gone you know is that is that wasted is that wasted money in the long term on the farm
0: it's not gone yet and and it and it depending on where you are and the moisture conditions it may be better in that second growth, than it would be out in the field, and that and that would be like in low areas of a field, which might be prone to being coming oversaturated with snowmelt moisture or something like that. But it, it all depends on the conditions. If if it continues to be reasonably dry, we're not going to see the soil nitrate disappear, but um, the the release of the of the nitrogen from the plant material is unpredictable. That's a biological process again and just like release from the soils organic matter or humus it'll be unpredictable and that depend on the temperature and the moisture and whether that residue gets mixed in with the soil because once again most farmers now especially in Alberta are using you know a, a one pass seeding system and low disturbance sort of zero till type systems and so you don't get the incorporation of that residues that you would with like a heavy duty um, you know incorporation with tillage so i think that john's on track saying that the that the release of nitrogen from those from that second crop from the regrowth is going
1: to be unpredictable so are are we are we talking about i guess is that going to be unpredictable for 10 years can i can i like i or are we talking about short-term? And I guess that depends on what kind of management system we're sitting in and, and how we're working the soil. Um, it, you know, Is that gonna be a trickle effect or can we expect maybe a, a one year, all of a sudden it, it, it release? You're a young man,
2: Jeremy, be patient. Uh, consider it doing your part for the planet. Uh, it's building your soil health and all that rah-rah. And just cool your jets. Take your soil nitrate test fall of 2022 and then move on from there. And chances are you'll detect much of it uh, by then. I'm presuming that uh, given a full year of growing season, much of that will probably have worked its way uh, through. And then you, that's the way we kind of treat manure. Hard to estimate the amount of nitrogen in manure. Sometimes you have to be patient and wait for it and then start uh uh measuring how much it's contributing by doing some of these follow-up soil tests
0: i think though that the 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 green material if, if the if the crop if the regrowth was green you know going into freeze up it'll probably decompose within you know several months or at the most like a year or two it's quite a bit different from straw I would say like in, in in other trials that we've done, if you have a lot of bedding with very mature crop residues in it, like straw in a solid beef cattle manure system, for example, that stuff does take a long, long time to break down and release its nitrogen. But um, the greener the material, the faster it's going to decompose, I think. Would you agree with that, John?
2: Yep. yeah, the, the greener it is, uh, the more leaves, the, that's the, the less rebar that's in there to uh, slow down decomposition.
1: I mean, I guess if you bought that fertilizer at four hundred dollars a ton and then it releases at twelve hundred dollars a ton, it, you could think of it as a long term investment. Yeah, maybe. but it's
0: it's it's a it's it's a mutual fund, and it's going to go up and down like a yo yo on the stock exchange. And so, um, if I think you just have to be prepared for the variability associated with with the influence of weather on these biological processes.
1: I guess to maybe to summarize to get an understanding, like we've we've thrown out a lot of information here, John Don, and Don and, and you know, there's a couple of things I've taken from this. One, mineralization and immobilization are highly variable. Um, and trying to utilize or, or get an idea of, of how much nitrogen is going to be available with those two competing processes and including that in our our Fertilizer plans, um, it just can't be relied upon. So utilizing how much nitrates are available uh, and then applying um, urea or whatever form of nitrogen you're using to reach those yield goals is is where you want to get. John, I, I, I see you want to say something. Uh,
2: I, I would just chip in there that our nitrogen recommendations are based on the soil nitrate. They were never based on also an estimated nitrogen release value and so any calibrations or correlations we have out there historically have tended to uh, uh, ignore not take into account the estimated nitrogen release so they're they're, they're developed or or based using the soil nitrate test so um, yeah to use estimated nitrogen it's adding a factor that was never in a lot of the original equations. So you're talking
1: about the equations that may be at the bottom of a, of a fertilizer results test saying, you know, here's here's maybe what you should be applying to reach your yield goals.
2: Uh, th- th- those recommendations generally, uh, at least in this part of the world, are based upon uh, the uh, nitrate, nitrogen. Maybe in Alberta they've done differently. I'm not aware of that. Ask, uh, uh, ask your department. Yeah, I'd,
1: I'd have to inquire to see what uh, what, what the, the labs around here are doing in terms of what that formula looks like. So, no, I'm, I mean, this has been very informative. I appreciate both of you taking the time to chat with me today. Is there anything else you feel like we missed that's worth saying before we, we close out today? Well, I think
0: it would be useful probably if I sent you a file that contained like PDFs for some of the data on which um, our um, perspectives are based like I, I hope that our opinions are understandable, but it's also important that they be backed up by data. And so uh, I'll send that to you. And if you want to post that on the um, Alberta Wheat and Barley um, Group's website, I think that's that'll be okay. And I'll, I'll work this out with John to see if he has some slides, but I'd like to include some of the slides from from John's corn trials, as well as from our corn and wheat trials just to just to illustrate what sort of typical levels of mineralization there are. And then I'll also include the slide that shows typical levels of immobilization and tie up and how important it is to keep track of income and expenses from gains and losses of nitrogen through mineralization and and immobilization,
1: respectively. No, I think that'd be very helpful. And, and anyone listening, you know, if if you can't find it, feel free to email me. Um, and I can send it to you directly as well. Um, I would, I, 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 those are some of the slides you've sent me before and, and yeah, there it's, it's pretty interesting information that, uh, that Don shared. So, um, yeah, feel free to reach out to me and, and I can share that with you. Um, yes. Thank you so much again for the time, John and Don. Um, Hopefully, we get to do this again in the future. Uh, hopefully, it's under lower lower fertilizer prices, but it's, it's been a pleasure chatting.
2: Very good. Thank you, Jeremy.
1: Well, nice to visit with you, too. Thanks for listening to the Growing Point Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a second to rate, review, and share this podcast with all of your friends. This helps us grow and get our message out. You can also sign up for the Growing Point newsletter by going to AlbertaWheat or albertabarley.com and sign up for our mailing list. This will help you stay up to date on all the agronomic information we share through articles, interviews, and the newsletter. See you next time.